to episode 11 of 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and this week is particularly special to me as I'm joined by James Hewler, my longtime family friend and co-CEO of Atlas. Atlas utilizes blockchain technology to connect communities around the world through mobile banking. James has always been a serial entrepreneur and a bit of a wonderkin to us, having started a healthcare API company called Eligible at 17 and winning a Teal Fellowship shortly after. He's the first person that comes to mind when I think of someone who pursues the road less traveled and is a constant source of inspiration to me. And with that, it's time to hear from James himself. This is a first for me. Everyone else I've interviewed, I don't really know. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, so start by telling us a little bit about your background, like your current company. What is Atlas? Yeah, so we're a uh, microfinance company, uh, basically providing financial services to people in Ghana and Senegal currently, um, and hoping to be a world bank in the future. So we worked with MasterCard to try to build the first Bitcoin debit card, um, and we quickly learned that the future of cryptocurrency and blockchain itself is not in the developed world. Um, in the developed world, there's less issues. It's a nice to be able to spend Bitcoin wherever you want, but it's not the future and it's not a sustainable revenue model. Um, and we really started to get pushed towards the developing world from uh, my co-founder Mickey and Barclays as well. So why do you think that Bitcoin, from everything I know about you guys, obviously, which is a lot, um, but why do you, your company does so much more what does so well in the developing world versus, you know, starting off in the developed world? Yeah, so we're, to be clear, we're not a Bitcoin company, we're a blockchain company. The big thing is that the problem with uh, Bitcoin is that there's a huge volatility issue. But the idea behind Bitcoin that you can basically bypass all other financial services and create a bank at in the box type infrastructure with higher security than the banks that they're used to in Africa is uh, really, really revolutionary. Um, even if you look at Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo just lied about the amount of customers they had. They transferred funds. There was a ton of issues. If they were on the blockchain, you can't change data. I can't go in and change the database. None of that could have ever happened if we used cryptocurrencies or blockchain technologies. So why aren't we doing it here? Banks are risk assessors. Their job is to be able to assess risk, and they can't actually value technical risk. So when they look at making a new website, they say, oh, we don't want to make it designed nicely because then some people might not understand it. They were too risk adverse when it comes to the development side. Um, so for us, we can actually kind of leapfrog the technologies of existing banks by doing what we do. Great. Um, and so this isn't your first company. So you started eligible when you were only, what, 16? Yep. So 17. Yeah. 17. Okay. So... What made you want to start, and I, I know in between then, you know, you and Mickey have been partners now for so Four many years. years. Yeah. How, long, how many years? Four. Five. Four years. So what made you want to start so many companies? Did you ever think, or did you always think you were going to be a serial entrepreneur? Yeah, so I actually started my first company when I was 12. Um, really? Yeah. So I made jewelry at uh, the Armagh Town Fair for the okay. fall. Um, and I, you know, as horrible as it is, like I... As a kid, my parents were very frugal, and I started to love money <laughs> in a good way. Um, I always, <laughs> my parents wouldn't give me money to go to the movies, and it, and it forced me to uh, work really hard and start getting a job from the age of twelve. 
Um, so 12, I started my first company. I ended up making like $2,000 at the Falderall. Then I did that two years in a row. And then I actually started doing jobs uh, around town. Um, so from the age of 12 to the age of 15, I was working. Uh, when I was 15, I got an internship with a company called Dr. Krona, which built the first electronic medical record for the iPad. And uh, basically what I was doing, I was just doing data entry. And I was like, this sucks. This is horrible. I was entering a thousand doctor's information into this one thing. And then I realized, you know what? I could probably do this easier. And it was then that really pushed me into coding. And I realized that, you know, I love building products and doing that stuff. So when I was 15, when I was in high school, I ended up uh, just being on my computer all day in class, teaching myself to program. And I basically program a app a week was my goal, uh, no matter what it was, maybe there was, whether it was a game or something else. So by the time I was 17, um, I started eligible with one of the ex-co-founders of my company I interned with. And so how did you, you know, how did eligible go from just an idea and it was with your cousin, am I correct? No, it's confusing, but it's okay. my cousin's cousin. Okay. Fiance. So right. she's not related to me. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. No um, so yeah, how did it go from, you know, just an idea to, you know, really thinking this could be an actual business? So when I worked at Dr. Kerno, I was talking to some of the doctors and I knew right away they needed a way to be able to check their health insurance because uh, the way that it works currently is it's very weird. What happens is you come into a doctor, they write down all your insurance information and at the end of the day, the secretary calls, which can be very inefficient. A, you have to call all the insurance companies one by one and see whether or not the patient was qualified. And on top of that, the patient didn't know whether or not they were qualified. So if you went to a chiropractor, you could go in thinking that you're paying, uh, your insurance will pay for it when in the end you have to pay out of pocket. So I knew a lot of doctors needed this functionality, but Dr. Krono kind of refused to do it at the time. Got it. And so let's switch gears. You told me um, you know, a lot about your earlier years, but let's start even before that. So what do your parents do for a living? So my dad runs a mechanic shop, uh, and my mom was a secretary and now a real estate agent. And do you think, you know, they've always been extremely supportive of your career, but when did you first start thinking of entrepreneurship besides, you know, when you were 12, but then how did you, that's, that's really different, you know, than making jewelry to being a full-time entrepreneur at the scale you are now. Yeah, but I, I think the passion is the same. I think the idea that I'm not going to wait for somebody else to provide me a job, I'm going to make my own position. Uh, was there from a young age. Um, but I was always a, you know, I wasn't the best in school, mostly because I didn't care and I had discipline issues with teachers. So I think I knew really early on I wanted to beat to my own drum. Okay. And did you ever have any leadership experiences in school? Um, I was always a captain of whatever sports team. So mm -hmm. I was a three-sport athlete. So um, I always had leadership in that. Not so much, I wouldn't say in, at Byram, but... Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So now that you're running a company and managing people who especially are older than you, how do you use any of those leadership experiences? Yeah. I mean, in terms of age, I, I don't really ever think of it that way. Um, I don't, you know, at our company, our team is our family. I think of them as coworkers and I, obviously I am their boss, but I don't really view it that way. And I don't look at age at all. Um, but in terms of my leadership experience, I would say that I've learned most of my leadership experience from doing what I do, um, and I learn more every single day. Um, I'm not perfect at managing yet, and I'm hoping to get better and better every day. So what did you first want to be when you grew up? 
when you were younger? What's like the earliest thing you can remember? Um, yeah, so the earliest thing I wanted to be was a jeweler. Um, I'm a big watch collector. Um, and I, my uncle was a jeweler. And then I also wanted to be an architect. I couldn't decide between the two. But Really similar careers, though. Yeah, it's engineering. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I wanted to do something where I could build things, whether it was buildings or watches. Were you ever taking things apart as a kid and kind of figuring yes. them out? Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I'm not too good at putting them back together. So. <laughs> um, so you're really interesting to me because I talk a lot about education on this show. And, you know, obviously you're a Peter Thiel fellow, so that means you didn't go to college. And do you firmly agree with that point of view or do you think it's different for everyone? I think it's absolutely different for everyone. I think I'm an oddity in that I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was very young. And I knew that I wanted to program since I was 16. So right away, I kind of found this niche and I had something there. Uh, you know, if you think of life as a wave, there's only one, as an ocean, I should say, there's only one opportunity to be able to catch that wave and ride it into shore. And for me, the wave was under me and I took that opportunity. Um, if that opportunity is not there yet, then I, I do think college is something that you should do. Mm -hmm. But I would also argue that you do learn more by doing than by getting taught. Do you ever feel like you missed out on anything by not going? Um, there's definitely social aspects of college that I, I wish that I could have experienced. But um, I feel that what I've accomplished, so I'm 22 now, so um, all my friends are graduating college right now or a semester late. So uh, for me, I feel what I've accomplished in the past four years is way greater than anything I could have accomplished at college. And I, I'm proud of where I am today. You're like a new level of uh, college dropout entrepreneurs. You're just like, I didn't go at all. Just didn't even bother. <laughs> um, so you've had a few co-founders now, um, namely being with Mickey for so many years, but what do you look for when making that leap? Because it is, you know, you said it, your company is like a family and in that regard, it's your co-founder is like a marriage. Yeah. Um, and I'm Mickey might hit on it later on his podcast as well, but, um, you know, Mickey and I don't just work together. We also used to live together. So it was a marriage <laughs> <laughs> minus the sex. Um, so we, it's hard. Uh, I would, you know, it's honestly, it's honestly very, very, very hard. Um, but I would say that I got very lucky with Mickey in that we started becoming co-founders and starting working together without even knowing each other. Um, I wouldn't typically recommend that. In our case, it worked out well. But when I look for a co-founder, a partner, it's just somebody that gets excited to work with and is excited to be working next to you and working very hard um, with a united goal. But Mickey and I are, I think, I'm much more bearish and he's much more bullish, so he's more big picture and I'm more granular. And I think it complements each other very well. I don't think you want somebody that's the same person because the best type of help is actually feedback and criticism rather than just somebody that agrees with everything you say. Mm -hmm. And now, how do you keep your relationship healthy then, given that you have such a close tied to your co-founder like how do you make sure to keep things that happen outside of work separate from things that happen at work uh up until about i don't know six months ago there was no separation because we were living in ghana together we lived in new york together um when you live together you have the invite for anybody to walk in and start talking about work unintentionally it just happens you're like oh something pops into my head i can go talk to mickey about this or and vice versa 
So I would say that up until six months ago, we didn't really have that separation. But I would say that we were still early stage and that's what had to happen. Um, and I think we are here because of that ability to be able to communicate everything at any time with one another, especially with the time differences in Africa. You know, something might happen at whatever, five in the morning, but if mm -hmm. it's that important, then we have to walk into each other's room and talk about it. Right. Now, so, you know, you've, you're a very interesting case. Like you said, you, you've always been an entrepreneur from an early age, but it seems like your parents have always supported you in that endeavor, or did you ever, do you think it kind of freaked them out that you were going on such an atypical path? No, I, I, I definitely wouldn't say my parents were incredibly supportive of it. Uh, they are now, and they, you know, they're very great now, but... Um, I would say it was uh, hard for them to realize that I shouldn't go to college. Um, and I would say it wasn't till even last year that my mom realized that, you know what, James isn't going to go to college and that's what's best. Um, but they, they have, my dad has been very supportive and my mom is very supportive as well now. Um, but again, I think it was just more that I'm so young that they, they didn't, know if this was just a part-time thing like mm -hmm. maybe maybe I'll do this for two years and then I'll go to college or um but now they're very much aware that I will never go to college and they're totally fine with that but I have to say I admire your tenacity to you know not listen to your parents even when you're such a young age when your parents approval means so much to you at least for me it meant so much to me even when I pretended it didn't yeah <laughs> unfortunately I might have a problem with uh going against what people say. So I kind of like to, like most entrepreneurs, I always have a chip on my shoulder. So I, I tend to try to do, go against the norm. Even in high school, I was always the same way. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. I was always working. It was different. I, I remember that. Um, I guess now, you know, I'm thinking about your family. I'm trying to find like why, or my, actually, sorry. My question was, how do you tell your parents what it is you do? Because I know, at least for me, when I was telling my parents that I was thinking about dropping out of a booth about mobile technology, it was way over their head. And so I, I, I'm not even sure my parents know what you guys do. So I'm wondering, like, how do you convince them it's such a great opportunity when it's such a technical product? Um, to be honest, I don't talk much to my parents about work. Um, they kind of just believe that if I believe in it, then they believe that they believe in it. Um, it is, it's a product being where we work. It's very hard to visualize a lot of the issues that we deal with on an everyday basis. Uh, you know, I was explaining to my mom, she goes like, Oh, I'll just ship something to Africa. I'm like, mom, we don't really have addresses in Senegal. <laughs> and she's like, oh, of course you have addresses. Of course you have post offices. And like, no, they're very different. You, mm. these are, you're not used to this. So when we talk to somebody and they go like, we provide bank accounts to people that don't have bank accounts. And they're like, well, why would they trust you over a bank? Um, they don't understand that banks are very expensive. They're not trustworthy in Africa. There's huge problems related to this banking infrastructure. And it's one of those things that's very hard to explain unless you come at it with an open mind, understanding what the market is actually like. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, when we talk about trust, people trust us more than a bank because they're not trusting Atlas. They're trusting the individual who's collecting the money who in most cases is somebody from the village, from the town, from that area that grew up with these people. All Atlas does is hold him accountable. So we basically secure the funds, but in the end it's your best friend that you've known since you were five collecting your money mm -hmm. versus a bank who has posh marble floors and air conditioning units 
where you walk in and you're like, they're taking a lot of money from me. They have to be. How can they afford this? You feel scammed. And so a lot of, one of the founders I interviewed brought this really great point about how she thinks that founders can fall into two camps. Either, you know, you grew up wealthy and you're, you really have no, um, there's not that much risk because if you fail, you kind of are still well off or you kind of had some adversity to overcome. Um, but usually like if you're in between, it, there's a lot to lose. So do you think that's true for you? Um, I grew up middle class, I'd say, um, by Armand standards, lower, lower income for Armand standards. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I, I would say that because of my age, I feel less of the risk. When mm. you're 32 and you're taking the financial risk of saying that I'm going to start a company and forego income for two years and forego everything and this is my life, it's a much bigger risk. I, I'm lucky that I took my risk when I was 17, when I have nothing and you're not expected to have anything. Mm-hmm. Even now that I'm 22, uh, I've been very lucky and I've all most of my investments have paid out and I've made a lot of good side investments as well. But... I would say that my age is the biggest risk that most people take, more so than capital. And since I'm so young, then I don't really feel the risk, mm-hmm. more so than capital. Now let's here's talk a little bit about failure. So you had Eligible, which is still really successful right now. Yeah. And I know, I wouldn't call them failures, but I know that you and Mickey tried to start a, def, a few companies together. So. Yeah. How do you find the strength to keep going? Or do you just not even think about it? Because it seems like you guys were always on to the next thing. When you realized something wasn't going to work, you just... And it, I wouldn't even say it's pivoting because they're so... Different. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a good question. I think that all of the ideas we had were ideas that could work as companies. I think that it wasn't the right time. So I think we realized like this isn't the right time for this. Um, we need to think of something else. We need to do something else. But what made Mickey and I strong was our ability to build a product. So it uh, came down to our ability to build a product. Um, so Mickey and I have been able to pivot and work on different things because in the end, I think that we, we're passionate about a lot of things and we continue to be, but we can fire up products very fast and be able to test and see what works and what doesn't. And it's the same reason our product is what it is today because even Atlas started as a Bitcoin debit card. So fundamentally different. And I wouldn't even call that a pivot. It's just completely different from what we do today. Um, but in the end, it was we listened to the world around us and we tried to find the right place where we belong. Um, and uh, even to this day, I've built a lot of side projects as well. Uh, you know, the ability to build products rapidly and, um, and listening to the market is, is essential. And so do you think, you know, if someone wanted to start a company and they were younger, would you always suggest to them that they need to learn how to code just to do that? Absolutely not. Um, so I think the job of an entrepreneur is to be able to solve problems. It has nothing to do with coding. Um, I think that to this day, I don't really code that often. It's very rare. But um, the idea is if I have a roadblock in front of me, I will pass that roadblock. Building a product, coding is a roadblock. Um, and a good entrepreneur should be able to get around it whether you know how to code or not. Um, and I, it's a huge problem that I see today where a lot of people just kind of throw their hands in, well, I don't know how to code. Um, and in reality, you don't need to, a good manager and a good CEO doesn't code. They assemble the people to be able to make it work. I think that's a really good point. And so 
you know, we've had so many companies. How, you know, culture is something that's so important, very hot in yeah. Silicon Valley, but I've worked at startups and I really think culture defines where you're going. So how do you make sure your culture is different this time around? Like, how is it unique to Atlas versus what you had at Eligible versus any of the other companies you've done? Yeah, so I think the first thing is uh, you can't force a culture. Um, I think a lot of people say, oh, we have this culture, we have this culture, we have this culture. A culture is the sum of the people that go into it. It's what it is. It starts out with the founders and then trickles down. But like I hear a lot of people say we have family culture. Well, as you know, we had our entire team at my house for Thanksgiving <laughs> and then your house for dessert. <laughs> I've never heard of a company doing that. It's, Especially flying them all from Africa to get yeah, there. Yeah, and, and Europe. And so, you know... We, we truly have a family culture. I mean, it's, it's taxing on somebody to be living in Ghana with us for months at a time and working weekends. And when you're in Ghana, you're always working. It's just, that's what you're, you're there to work. So it's, for us, it's really great that we can go and play ping pong or go work out and still smile and have fun with one another and actually still want to be with one another after spending 12 hours working together. Um, we need that family culture. And in the end, it's just Mickey and I are best friends and family. And it just goes down the line from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but culture is very, very, very important. Um, as you know, we had two other employees before um, when we were working on the card. And Mickey and I, especially me, was too lenient on them when in reality we shouldn't have had them on the team because they they didn't fit our culture and we tried to make them fit and it didn't work. But do you think there's a fine line then between having a family culture and then how do you come down on people when you need to if it is like a family? I mean, and and also, you know, you don't want to fight like siblings. Like the reason Mickey and I always talk about one day joining, um, joining doing something with him but being able to keep that family you know, you're either hardest on your siblings or maybe you're too lenient on them. And so how do you do that? Um, I'm always a big fan of fairness. I think as long as there is clear expectations saying that this is what I need to get done. Um, and if those expectations aren't hit, then I think everyone knows why they're at fault, why they are in trouble, whatever it is. It's all about laying out those expectations and being fair but but strict and I think that's doable whether you're a family or not um, of course having to fire somebody is never fun and it always hurts culture a little bit but that's it is what it is um, do you keep yourself accountable to those standards as well yeah I mean if I'm not if I'm not hitting my stride I expect Mickey to tell me that I'm not hitting my stride mm-hmm. even with our employees I I make them give me reviews as well mm-hmm. if they say oh you know what James I wish you were more reachable on Slack or WhatsApp or whatever it is during off hours. I, I respect that. Um, I want people to be able to uh, make me a better entrepreneur because in reality, I am 22. I'm still learning. This is the largest company I've run so far and it's going well so far, but we, I want to get better. Do you think you'll always be an entrepreneur or can you see yourself doing a different career down the line? Um, I have a lot of side passions. Um, I'm very, very passionate about video games and watches and wine. See, uh, uh, there's the Solier prep course that I'm looking at right now on your and, and my watch on top of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm very really passionate about other things. Um, I think I would do something else in the space because it just so happens all three of those spa- spaces um, are ripe for 
tech innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, less so video games, but... I'm just less so sommeliers, but... No, there's a lot of space in that. It's, we'll have to talk about that after. Over, yeah. over a glass of wine. Yes. <laughs> um, we tried to stay sober for this podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, I've done some podcasts kind of funny with video games, and mm-hmm. I help out with their tech a lot. So for, for me, it's, uh, it's these side projects that I'll probably get into, but I think I will be doing entrepreneurial things and my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I can take orders from people mm-hmm. um, after not doing it since I was 15. So um, on top of that, I'm really, really big into crypto investment and uh, other forms of venture capital. So, I guess the last serious question is what do you think the most important quality to have for success is? Problem solving. I, I, I think a lot of people, again, get caught up on this whole... Actually, I would say that's a good question. I'm trying to think that and passion. Those are the two things mm, that yeah, I, I, agree. I think they kind they fuel each other. If you're for me, when I couldn't solve a problem, I would get pissed off until I figured it out, and I'm passionate about it. Mm-hmm. I want to fix it. Um, I was helping out this one entrepreneur, and he was saying, I was talking to him. He's like, oh, I really want your help doing this, building this app, and I'm like, okay, I can point you to a developer. He's like, no, 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 I want you to do it, and I'm like, no, I'm not not going <laughs> to do this, and then I, and then I went proceeded to ask him like. Okay, he was in college. He has two years left at uh, Duke. And he goes, and I ask him, would you drop out of college for your product? And he goes like, no. So I'm asking him, wait, if your product succeeds, which is one in a million, if not higher, um, you're not going to drop out of college and you're going to let the wave pass you. And he's like, yeah, I, I just want to, uh, yeah, my dream is to work at a hedge fund. And Says I, every little boy everywhere. Yeah, yeah and, <laughs> and then I and then I'm like, okay, then why are you even doing this? Yeah, <laughs> um, and I, I think that passion and that that willingness to learn, teach yourself anything without somebody else forcing you to to learn it is is what makes an entrepreneur. Um, again, I wouldn't say I'm a strong programmer. I would say that there's a lot of hurdles in front of me, and I always try to take those hurdles. Mm-hmm. That's because you were on track. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, all right. So now we're going to switch to the fun questions. Um, so what industry do you think will be the next big thing of 2017? Crypto, blockchain, um, with a lot of this bank stuff shifting. I think if you just think about it this way, we think of the future of currency. The future of currency is not going to be a U.S. dollar bill. It's not physicalized. It's digital. And now there's an opportunity for technology to replace all banking infrastructures and allow the government to bank individuals on their own and track currency, which they can then tax. I don't think Bitcoin is the future. I think the U.S. government eventually will make their own form of cryptocurrency, but uh, they will wait for other players to move in that space. And I think banks will adopt it first before large governments start to adopt it. And you see that happening in 2017, not, you know, a few I years think out. that the banks will start to adopt it more in 2017. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been happening over the past, yeah. you know. Uh, the other interesting thing that I see is that the crypto space is very uh, great for investment. You know, I'm getting 20, and some weeks I get 25% per return per week. Um, so I think the investment side is really interesting and no hedge funds have gotten involved yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to see how that progresses in 2017 because these kind of increases are kind of ripe for uh, some big investment investors to come in and move the market, uh, which hasn't happened yet. And now, what product are you a big advocate of? Like, what do you tell your friend, either from work or a physical product or a software product? What are you using all the time that you find yourself being an advocate for? 
That's a good question. Um, obviously, there's certain tools that I always use. I always use Slack. I always use whatever. Um, one of my biggest advocates that I always tell people is, uh, this might be a cop-out, but uh, your phone is your life, no matter who you are. A lot of people try to be cheap on their phone when they don't think about, wait, this is the one product I use hours a day. Yeah. The one thing in your life. So they're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to get a, a crappy old iPhone. Like, no, 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 I, you know, I'll, I'll be cheap on this. It's the one product that you use hours a day. You, it's the one thing you should never be cheap on. <laughs> Do you ever get an Android? No, I would never get it. I, I have a S7, um, and I will probably get a Pixel from Google. But um, I, I love my iPhone, personally. And now, who would you interview if you could interview a founder and why? Mm. Make it fun, living or dead. You know, in all honesty, he's not a founder of a company, but, uh, and it might be a cop-out, but I think it would be really interesting to interview somebody. Uh, I always ask this question, like, who would you want to meet, uh, a living or dead? And mm -hmm. I think it would be the same for me. It's like, I would love to meet Einstein. The reason behind it, even though he didn't start a company, he didn't have the feedback that companies have. He invented, he discovered based quantum physics and basically the, all of the theory of relativity, which is so far out and so complex and so different from anything presented before it. He didn't have the feedback that we are blessed with as entrepreneurs. It's, it's, we kind of take it for granted that I can release a product and we can see if we get downloads, I can test out marketing, I can get this feedback. When you're working in science, you don't get these, this, this instant feedback. It's all theories and... You know, he didn't really realize his contribution until today. It's still the biggest contribution to the world of physics. And also, like, one of his, I love his quote, you can't, if you judge a fish on how to climb a tree, he's going to go his whole life thinking he's stupid. And that's, that's how I felt growing up, was I'm horrible at reading. I was a very okay student. Uh, I got in trouble a lot because I didn't care. And... Everyone was saying, like, oh, you're very fine, you're fine, you're fine. And in reality, I learned differently. I'd rather teach myself than have somebody teach me. But I also think many high schools have no idea how to create entrepreneurship and that our education system only does fit one way of, well, essentially memorization and then regurgitating it on tests. And if you can't do that, then, you know, you're not smart, quote unquote, even though you end up not even, up, like, retaining any of that information later on anyway. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. And that's why I, it goes back to problem solving. If you can look at a math question and then be able to solve it yourself, even if it takes you longer, without somebody telling you how to do it, then that's what intelligence truly is, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's the tool set you should have in life rather than the, I will wait for somebody to teach me how to do it. Well, really great having you. I think this was probably one of my best interviews yet. So I appreciate it. Thanks absolutely. so much, Absolutely. It's great being here. Thank you so much. And that's it for episode 11. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Casa, and I'll see you next week for another episode.